We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Podcasters attempt to do podcasts without podcast host, and results go exactly as you'd expect. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Inky Gunner. Hey, everybody. I am traveling. Um, and I have to admit, uh, I have a pretty good view right now. I've been taken away to celebrate a very uh, exciting life event for a friend of mine. Very, very happy to be here. Um, one of those things that when it was coming up, I didn't want to do it because life is hectic and... You know, you want to be there with your family, and I want to be there for the podcast, and this Arsenal season is winding down, and it all felt like it was too much. The The trip to London is coming up, but then you get to see your friend, and it's a special occasion, and you're in a beautiful place, and you feel very lucky to be there. So that's, that's the situation I find myself in. I also find myself in the situation of having enjoyed Arsenal's last game, which is a, a, a nice change of pace. Uh, we did a really nice instant reaction. Very, very funny. Lots of laughs were shared. We did a great podcast with Lewis Ambrose on the tactics of Arsenal and how things have changed over the last few weeks and, and the last month or so and where we go from here. Uh, that's on the Patreon side. But over here, what we have for you first is gratitude. Um, for being here, for being with us wherever you find the podcast, and thank you so much for that. Uh, we have a main podcast for you now that will be with Tim and Paul and Kaya Kainak, and then Tim will drop off, and it'll be Paul and Kaya Kainak because Tim had trouble with his internet. So I'm going to stitch together for you the podcast that I can stitch together with the audio I have. I think it's pretty good, and I think it's fine as it is, but I just thought I would warn you about that um, before we go from here. So I'm going to turn it over to Tim and Paul and Kaya, and then Paul and Kaya, uh, when the audio goes bad, it gives me a chance to put in the uh, advertisements, so that's when those will go in, and then um, I will just say goodbye to you at the end. So that's it for me. I hope you're doing well. I uh, hope you enjoyed Manchester United losing to Brighton today. I got to enjoy that myself, and uh, we will have a lot more as it comes. So over to Tim, Paul, and Kaya Kanak. 
Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast with me, your host, Elliot Smith. No, I'm not Elliot Smith. I don't know why I said that. It's obviously, obviously it's Tim Stillman uh, in the presenter's chair because Elliot is slacking today. Um, hoping that this all holds up because we've had a number... I, we, <laughs> I've had a number of technical issues in trying to get stuck into this recording. So th- this one, I- I'll let you into a secret, listeners. Podcasting is easy. It's a massive piece of piss. Um, but this one we've, we've had to, you know, we've had to like get down the back of the sofa and look at the wires and, and stuff like that. So hopefully this holds up, uh, and let's face it, if it doesn't, you'll never hear this. So, um, I don't know why I'm saying that, but anyway, obviously it's Thursday evening at time of recording. That means we're going to do a podcast. Um, appreciate this isn't straight after the Chelsea game on Tuesday, but I will refer you to our Patreon where there was uh, a kind of, semi-extended instant reaction uh, which is available to patrons if you'd like to become a patron Um, but we will dig into that game we'll probably roughly do about 60% on the Chelsea game and then a little bit of a a Newcastle review and really I think those discussions will bleed into one another anyway but without further ado to help me to do that um, I'm joined as ever by Paul who you can follow on Twitter at Poznan in my pants Paul good evening Oh, were you on mute there, or did I just not hear you? Yeah, my... <laughs> <laughs> now I hear you. Uh, uh, I think it's your me. internet, Tim. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. It's your internet, Tim. That's uh, April Fools, also, and uh, no, it wasn't me. No, okay. it was not. Fair enough. It was not me. Fair enough. So just a little insight into some of the technical issues there. Um, And uh, we've also got uh, a a special guest uh, to join us as well from Football London, Football London's Arsenal correspondent, uh, Kaya. Kaya, good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much for having me on. I feel a bit like uh, Per Mertzacker in the 2017 FA Cup final, so this late call up (laughs) and everything seems to be going wrong around me, but I'm hoping that we'll be able to sort of steady the ship and see our way through this one. Yeah, I've, I feel a bit like David Espina uh, in that game. Um, <laughs> utter rubbish. Anyway, <laughs> um, thanks very much for joining us, Kaya. Uh, Clive and Elliot are not available. Um, so you've got uh, you, you've got uh, three sterling reserves. Uh, we've got Rob Holding, Jakob Kivior here for you, uh, and a half-fit Takahiro Tomiyasu. Uh, but without further ado... Uh, Let's talk about the Chelsea game on Tuesday evening, which possibly the lowest key victory over Chelsea I can remember since about the mid-1990s when they were just like a vague annoyance. Um, And so I'm I'm really glad to see that Chelsea have indeed got their Chelsea back, circling around mid-table doing absolutely nothing. Um, Paul, the lineup. We've discussed this a lot mm. in kind of back channels, on podcasts, on social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Arteta did change. Well, to be fair, he has made tweaks in terms of like at Southampton, bringing party next to holding. Like he hasn't completely ignored that issue. However, for this game, he makes three changes. He brings in Jorginho Trossard neither of which I'm that surprised by, given that ball security has been an issue, but also brings in Jakob Kivior into uh, the back line. What did you make, first of all, of the changes before the game? Uh, and what's your kind of post hoc analysis of them? Yeah, um, so 
Elliot tried to make a big to-do about me saying that um, uh, Rob Holding uh, w- uh, shouldn't be swapped out, but like there was a bit of context to that. Um, my my bigger issue was if we played Jorginho and Holding, that that would do neither of them any favours in that you needed coverage in that area of the pitch and compensation. So like, um, I guess when we assess this, did anybody think Kivior at right centre back was was an option available? Because actually, when we discussed it, you know, it was it was talking about maybe Tierney or somebody else could play right back, uh, uh, and we were really struggling to come up with anything that got us to a you know Ben White at right centre back or somebody else at right centre back. I'm like, this was kind of I didn't see that one coming, and it turned out to be very nice. Um, so there was a solution there. Um, this was a game that maybe Arteta felt a little safer making, uh, experimenting a little bit. Arteta gave his reasons. He wanted to change things. We'd been conceding too much, and he wanted to shake things up, um, wh- which are interesting comments. It, it, it is pretty close to saying I needed to change some people, and the reason I needed to change some people was because we were conceding goals. Um, Trossard obviously earned a start as a... It, it was certainly a debate before whether with Trossard in the lineup, Jesus might line up as the Martinelli position, but no, uh, Jesus was central. So we kept Martinelli from the left. And I think maybe coincidentally that gives us some interesting patterns with Xhaka getting into different positions than he might otherwise. Um, And yeah, um, this was a game where it would have been weird if he didn't make a few changes um, without knowing the Kivior option, uh, did not guess this change. I uh, I could see why Party would get a bit of a rest. I could see why we'd make a move away from holding. I couldn't see how we would do both. Yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's two contexts here. I think, first off, we've also got Newcastle on Sunday. Um, I felt like yeah. this was probably a game for Jorginho, whereas Sunday is probably not. Um, so it made sense to see a bit mm. of rotation there. I I also kind of think, uh, Kaya, that I, I I kind of think it makes much more sense to think of Arsenal as a back three anyway um, and just regards Zinchenko as a midfielder that sits in front of them and occasionally slides back into left back. Um, so the, the whole like two left-footed centre-backs thing kind of makes a bit more sense if you consider it like White, Kivior, Gabriel and then Zinchenko and Jorginho in front of them. Um, how how did you assess the changes versus um, the fact that, I mean, for my money, I think at this particular moment in time, Chelsea might be the worst team in the Premier League. <laughs> and so yes. I, how do you, and, and like what Lampard did, right, just picking the three fastest players um, up front and then thinking that means I've got a counter-attack. Like, I don't know. How do you assess the changes versus the weakness of Chelsea? Yeah. Um, one thing Frank Lampard forgot about is that you do actually need a midfield in order to counterattack. You're willing to go sort of beyond the 18-yard box. And that was where Chelsea really struggled, I thought. And I thought that was probably why Jakob Kivio had such an easy evening in the first half. And it's why uh, Aubameyang had four touches or five touches, was it? Four of which were kickoffs. We were all expecting those big boos for him, but he was sort of lucky in the sense he didn't touch the ball, so no one really got the chance to boo him. But it was, I thought Kivio was good in the sense that 
comparison to the Southampton game where everything felt so frantic and so frenetic for the entirety of the match, uh, he, he provided a bit more composure and a bit more calm. And I, I don't want to turn this into a sort of a, having a go at Rob Holding because we're, we're praising Kivior, but what Holding, the energy he's been giving off, and Arteta's big on this in terms of what you transmit and all that kind of stuff. The energy he's been giving off in the past few games has been of someone who's panicking against City. A lot of his actions felt like panicked actions when he was stepping up too late or not sure whether to drop back and all that stuff. It, it felt like he was lacking in confidence. And Kivior... He wasn't. He didn't set the world alight, but he didn't have too much to do. But he brought a little bit more composure back. And you're right in the sense that I think um, Arsenal's defence does sort of work as a back three in the sense that Gabriel sort of plays as a bit of a hybrid left-back centre-back anyway, doesn't he? And we saw that against Liverpool to a, a really big extent where he essentially marked Mo Salah out of the game for the first 40 minutes. And then Salah obviously popped up with the goal, very, uh, quite a fortunate deflection. But he offers that. And it's interesting, Kivior coming in. And if you look at his pass map, most of his passes went to Gabriel and Arsenal looked to build up down that side. And, you know, he's not a perfect solution because Bukayo Saka still hardly saw the ball and Arsenal missed that in terms of their build up down the right-hand side. But I thought Kivior brought a sense of composure. And listen, he was he was quick. He was aggressive in the duels. Um, he won a lot of headers. He was quick across the ground and... The goal didn't really come across his side. He mentioned Zinchenko playing like a midfielder. He defended like a midfielder for the goal. And I think he, he had a positive impact. I, I think, like Paul was saying, none of us really considered it an option to have two left-footed centre-backs at, at the back. And the reason you rarely ever see that is because when left-footed centre-backs are coming up, they're, they're usually played on the left side. And to suddenly throw them in at Premier League level against um, what is supposed to be an elite opposition in Chelsea... Uh, on the right-hand side obviously makes things very difficult. It becomes a lot easier if Chelsea then refuse to attack. But I think, yeah, he was he was good. And uh, definitely a promising first sort of Premier League start. I think we're all a little bit worried about him after that first appearance in, in Lisbon. And maybe his, his game was slightly clouded by that high-profile error, if you want to call it that, with a bit of a mix-up with Matt Turner for, for the early Lisbon goal. But Speaking to people behind the, the scenes at the club, they, they all speak very highly of him. They say he's, he's a good guy. His, his English isn't necessarily the strongest, so it's taken him a little while to step in. And Arteta referenced that, actually, in his, I think it was his post-match uh, comments. And he said, look, he's a lot more settled now. He speaks English better. He knows the group better. And maybe now just felt like the time to throw him in, aside from, obviously, the whole two left-footed centre-backs thing. And I, I thought it went pretty well as an experiment, yeah. Yeah, I think um, the the language points are a really interesting one. Uh, I think we saw that with Gabriel that he's kind of gotten better as his communications got better. I think that's actually a, a a really good point about Saka having a really quiet game again. And actually, you know, you can say that oh, the game was won and we brought Saka off after seventy minutes, but actually, we've seen games that are won after seventy minutes and Saka isn't coming off. And I, I do think there's something in that 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 he certainly wasn't getting the ball as much. But Paul, you you kind of referenced it in your first answer, but I I think uh, I think you're right that there's really something about the pairing of the right central midfielder and the right centre back. And um, you know, you're right, Jorginho yeah. and Holding together, potentially a bit orange juice and toothpaste. I don't think it's a massive coincidence that when um, holding came on, Partey came on with him. Um, I really don't mm. think that that was a that, that was a um, much of a coincidence. So, um, how did you see that kind of partnership? And I, I guess just Jorginho's performance overall in this game. Yeah, look, um, Chelsea were very 
unimpressive from a pressing and pressure standpoint. They basically didn't. They didn't want to poke the beast. It was like maybe if we stay quiet and sit back a little bit, um, they won't hurt us too bad too quickly. Um, so players in the our back five, if you want to include Jorginho in there, and I agree agree with you on the Zinchenko thing, not being a defender. In fact, I think Zinchenko agrees with you on his role in the team too, uh, based on his bit of defending for the for their goal. Um, look, our our backline wasn't being pressed, and Jorginho wasn't really being pressed, um, and that was great. It allowed us to settle in. It was exactly what the doctor ordered, right? Like we played really well, and you still got to do that. Um, and it was exactly what we needed. But you would expect if we're not really getting pressed, I think their PPDA, which is a pressing number, was something like 15, which is pretty low. Ours was 10, which is reasonable, decent, but probably reflects the fact that we pressed like BJs in the first half and then cruised. You really want a number around 7 or 8 if you're going to be pretending to be peak Liverpool or peak Man City, you know, seven, eight, maybe a six. Well, we were around a 10. We did it, and then we didn't do it. And so Chelsea really didn't. They really didn't press us until late on. And like Kivior looked great on the eye, two-footed, picking out passes, nothing spectacular, as Kaya says, but he looked really good. You felt different, and it felt like the positioning of other players. They just, after two, three minutes, they said, well, we trust this guy. Now let's get back into play playing the Arsenal way. I think you're exactly right on agreeing with me, Tim, that uh, there's a pairing with the... <laughs> As a phrase the, for the ages. The deep, yeah, um, the deep midfielder and the right centre-back. And one of the reasons it's that pairing is because those guys obviously skew to the right. You see where Party tends to play. He's kind of supporting the right pod, if you want to call it that, that right triangle of Saka, White and uh, Odegaard. And you see Jesus swinging left so that he supports from, from the other side. There's a, almost a diagonal symmetry. He swings left so that he supports Martinelli or whoever, Trossard in this case, Xhaka, Zinchenko. And you got a reasonably even split. Uh, Jesus' touches are usually be on the, the left-hand side of the pitch. And maybe we bring it up that side and swing it back to the other side. Um, and like... There's a really interesting dynamic as well with Jorginho and Xhaka, uh, Party and Xhaka, where we used to say, think of Xhaka as not really having a lot of variety in his passes. Obviously, now he's a little further up the pitch and he's got some more options with it. But that that pass he does, you know, the, it's almost like a no-look ac straight across the pitch to Odegaard. It's kind of like... It, it, it's a daisy cutter, it's low, it's hard, and you're like, often you feel like their midfielder is going to intercept. It's kind of when we're moving up the pitch, maybe not quite a counter-attack, but we're moving up the pitch. He cuts it to Odegaard, who pumps it straight to Saka, and we stretch up that side, and then we kind of slow down the play a little bit around Saka. I think that's why Saka stays on so long uh, versus Martinelli. It's not that this guy is playing better than that guy. Saka's much more important to technical control, giving White, like, White knows that pass when he sees it and he bombs up the pitch and he gets up there and now you got Odegaard Saka and then we set up camp around there. It's kind of the Grealish thing, a little bit of it. It's only an extra pass or two, but it gives everybody else that few moments to get up the pitch and then we're in the attacking third. And so this was a game that suited us getting back to the attacking third. No team has more touches in the box than us per 90 
No team has fewer touches in their own defensive third than Arsenal, which is amazing when you think when you, you think we used to be a team that thought we played out from the back or played it around the back before building. And now we're all about players who allow us to get, and like Chelsea played into that. We got back to the Arsenal that played in the attacking third, that played in their box, that created chances, swung it from left to right, etc. And it all started to click. And Jorginho had a great day. And Kivior looked really good on the eye. But yeah, uh, Chelsea gave us what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I even think the way, I mean, you say like their press was just Kante, right? Um, which was lovely yeah. for us. Like in the first half in particular, they were really pushing Kante on, which was lovely because it meant he completely vacated that left half space. Um, so Xhaka, for example, had a lovely old night running into there with absolutely no kind of um, opposition whatsoever. And obviously, Kaya, he lays on two goals for Martin Odegaard. And um, were you in the post-match press conference? No, I wasn't. I was actually there as a fan uh, for the first time this ah, season. Okay. So, uh, but I've caught, I've caught up on the post-match press conference. I've, I've, I've read and watched all the videos and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm on it. Yeah, when he's a journalist, he doesn't support Arsenal. He's he's not a fan at all. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought Arteta, I wanted to come on to Erdegaard because obviously he he scores two wonderful goals in this game. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, after maybe a couple of games where he hasn't quite been himself, um, we're talking about, you know, e- close to equaling Perez in terms of uh, goal contributions for a season. And I, I loved Arteta's quote after. I love it when managers are succinct with something. And I think Arteta said he had to get out of the mentality of controlling games, or sorry, just controlling games, and get into the mentality of winning games, um, which I think is just like a lovely phrase that really succinctly kind of sums it up. I mean, what did you make of his performance? Because I just had this, sometimes when a team's in a slump, as much as you want the whole unit to work, sometimes your eyes just turn to certain players and you just go, we're in a slump, we need one of you to pick this up and Erdegaard really did. Yeah, I've, I've still slightly got my journalistic hat on in the sense of I'm doing a piece on Erdegaard, so I'm wary of giving all, giving it all away. But I, I, I'm kind of, Exactly, exactly. So I've been, I've been doing my research on him and um, I think what's really interesting about Erdegaard, particularly, you know, the goal scoring is what everyone's focusing on after the Chelsea game because he's on 14 goals, none of which have been penalties, which is fantastic. And he's played, I think, 32 matches, which is nearly a goal every other game. And, you know, both centre forwards would be happy with that for a season, let alone a midfielder who, when he first came, uh, end product was his his big concern. I think that's a lot of the reason why people didn't, a lot of people didn't necessarily take to him in that lockdown period where maybe they weren't inside the stadiums and they couldn't see what he was doing sort of in the build-up. When you've got that end product, obviously you catch the eye a lot more. And it's interesting, he, he spoke along, it was the final game before the World Cup and he scored two against Wolves and he spoke more about how he's attacking the spaces in the box. And if you look at a lot of his goals this season, that's where they come from. They come from those late arrivals and it was interesting, Cesc Fabregas was the pundit on the TV. A lot of people have made that comparison to me it's it's more Aaron Ramsey the type of runs he's making in terms of that late arrival and we see a lot of those Guardiola-esque cutbacks in terms of the players from Arsenal left-hand sides and Chanko Trossard, Martinelli, whoever it is getting to the byline and obviously it's, it's Erdegaard deep just behind the penalty spot who's who's ready to, to finish them off and 
he's getting really good at finishing. Uh, he's obviously got that technique and he knows how to strike a ball. And we saw that on two occasions. The first goal, the finish is sublime. And the second goal um, is, is equally good. And I think a lot of it comes from, and you mentioned Arteta's comments, I think him feeling a bit more comfortable and him feeling like this is his home. And we, we, I don't think we can underestimate that with Erdegaard and how much he's he's really delivering on the potential that you know everyone saw in him when we all heard about him when he was 15 years old and was being sort of chased after by every single club in Europe pretty much what he's got now is that solidity the the home that he feels like and he said it several times he feels like he's at home and I think he sort of feels like this is his team and he doesn't feel shy about coming he's not backwards about coming forwards anymore when he came in he was maybe a little bit more nervous a little bit more reserved to come in and be decisive in games now he's he's being decisive and he's he's making the difference in matches and if you look at that West Ham goal the volley that he scores is obviously a fantastic piece of technique but he's demanding the ball first from Kieran Tierney then from Gabriel Martinelli and when he first came in he wasn't really doing that I think back to maybe the West Ham game where Arsenal came back from 3-0 down that was maybe the first sort of time when he started to do it but then I think he got an injury just after that and it sort of fell by the wayside and we saw it more towards the end of last season when he got the armband but now he's doing it every week and his goal tally speaks to that his assist tally speaks to that and he's been massive for us it's a shame that obviously he seemed to go off the ball a bit against Southampton although he scored and was decisive late in the game I don't think it was his best match and against Man City he had a bit of a stinker but I think the whole Arsenal midfield did that night so I don't think it's fair to necessarily single him out but he, he's been really good this season and those positions he's taken up on, on the edge of the box and the decisiveness, uh, yeah, it's been crucial to all of it. Yeah, I just wanted to add on the Odegaard thing. So... One of the thoughts I had watching the two goals he had and then thinking about how he scores his goals, which is a lot of cutbacks or crosses and he arrives late uh, with it missing our first line of attack is how important it is that Gabriel Jesus gets back into the box ahead of him and pulls a defender and and has a midfielder looking over his shoulder um, to make that happen. And I think one of the things we've seen in games recently is... Jesus dropping deep and maybe for my uh, and I've no issue with that I, I think he's very smart very intelligent but I think maybe him and Zinchenko but certainly he has been trying a little too hard to force things in the last couple of games uh, and you understand that frustration because he's trying to get things going when the team isn't playing the team effect isn't kicking in so he's dropping in, he's trying to make something happen but but maybe a little too much, trying a little too hard. Obviously, this was a game, given that Chelsea were a bit crap, where um, he didn't need to overdo that at all. But it meant for those opportunities, he's attacking the six-yard box and that ball comes in just behind, misses that line and that defensive line. Fascinatingly, on the first goal, Enzo Fernandez looks over his shoulder to check. He has one of his own guys behind him at the penalty area, which he does. But by the time the cross comes in, he decides, you know what? I'm not going to check again. I think it's safe to let this ball run between my legs. And of course, by then, who's coming through but Odegaard and the mid the midfielder, whoever it was, Kovacic or somebody, has drifted away and uh, Odegaard arrives. But that's what happens when you arrive in the right spot at the right time. And 
people kind of know that that jacker uh, that that cut across or cut back pass he has, and shit, we did it twice. Um, but a key piece of it is, and I think this again relates to how we're pl- we've been playing but haven't played recently, is. Nobody gets more players in the box, basically, in the Premier League than us to attack, right? Even more so than Man City, you think, oh, like, they've changed a little bit their dynamic. We're probably trying to do what Man City did two, three years ago in terms of getting players into the box. And, of course, that's great as long as you get it right and you you got your rest defense in place and you're all set up. And like we did in this game, this was a return to the Arsenal. I think it raises some interesting questions. So um, Tim's taking a little breather and um, uh, he may not rejoin us. In fact, um, he may have pulled a hammy celebrating his last point too clearly. So I'm going to continue from here. So I want to put it to you, Kaya, uh, that what has been going on the last few games is that we've tightened up as a team. There's a lot of term emotional terms used about what happens with Arsenal uh, in this run-in. We've certainly plateaued recently. And I think my term for it is, of all the unpleasant, ugly, unprofessional accusations about this young team who's gaining experience, we tightened up uh, in terms of how we play. Not, not in the good way, in the terms of a tennis player in, a, in the third set. He's two, he's two sets up. He's leading 4-2. He's got to break a serve, and we've seen this a thousand times. It's the semifinals, but it's Federer or Nadal or Djokovic down the other end, and it's his first time in the semifinals or the final, and suddenly, even though he's flying, he tightens up, and I think we tightened up. Totally understandable and naturally and normal and frustrating and upsetting and like... but. The team effect stopped teaming. And, like, I don't think anything's clearer than that than, like, West Ham. We're flying. We're two goals up. Uh, Liverpool, we're flying. Now, more more understanding for something like that at at Anfield. But, you know, um, Southampton just, like, not being with it from the get-go. And now we're super tight because this is the third one. Then we go to the Etihad and... Like, we press like crazy. We don't lay a a finger on them, and they play through us. And and I think, so I think that's a very different animal because that was a game that kind of almost played us looking at their press and us looking at our press and how both, like, that's a very different dynamic to the other games. But do you see Chelsea as a chance for us to relax and get into our game and the other games as a, a almost a series of, of us getting tighter and tighter as we got to like D-Day and the game against the, the crunch game against uh, City. Yeah, I, I think there's something in that. I, I think one of the smaller intangibles that hasn't really been spoken about that much in this title race is how aware the players are of goal difference as a thing. Mm. And it's interesting to me that um, questions started to be asked about goal difference sort of early on in the West Ham game and people were saying, oh, they're 2-0 up inside 10 minutes. How much further can they go? They, they need to keep going. Um, even at halftime in the Chelsea game, there was lots of chat about, um, I think Arteta said afterwards, that we wanted to go for four and five. We needed to get more. 
And I wonder if that comes from, for the first time of the season, sort of just peering over the garden fence to see what the other, what your neighbours are doing, what the other side are doing. And, you know, you speak, you speak to people around the club and it's always been very much, uh, you know, focusing on ourselves, focus on the next game, focus on the next training session, focus on the next ball, all that kind of stuff. In and around the West Ham game was the first time I sort of started to notice and people started to notice that there was a bit more of an awareness of what City were doing. And I do think that played a part. I do think that certainly impacted the way Arsenal uh, reacted to conceding a goal against um, West Ham. Because if you look at earlier in the season, it was almost a feature of the of the play earlier in the season where I remember those early games against Leicester and Aston Villa, both at the Emirates, where Arsenal conceded a goal and then within minutes went up the other end and, and scored again. And that became a real thing for Arsenal. It was a real sort of clutch characteristic that they had. And that's disappeared obviously over the past few weeks and I do think that's understandable given the age of this team given the the relative inexperience of this team given the I don't want to go I'm glad Elliot's not on it because I'm going too into soft factors but I don't want to go too into them because he, Kai I can tell you he has become a convert to soft factors though okay. he won't admit it yeah it's never stops bloody talking about them if you ask me but anyway yeah, okay, well, I'll bring them up even more then and I think <laughs> Zinchenko and Jesus are Arsenal's two title winners. Okay, well, the audio went bad, and that means it is my chance to tell you about the wonderful companies that have supported this podcast. Uh, that's really what I am here to do today. So first, I want to tell you about NordVPN. The funny thing is, like, we have a lot of uh, advertisers that have come and been a part of the podcast, and I'm thrilled to have all of them. It, it's a reflection of your support for the pod and their support for the pod, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But the one that I think I get the most questions about is Nord. NordVPN is great for a few reasons. First of all, it just protects you from having your internet traffic monitored. It protects you from threats. Uh, It will actually uh, prevent malware and spyware from being uh, added to your computer. But the other thing it lets you do is browse in different geographies. So if you want to watch Match of the Day or you want to watch the game when you're overseas and you need to VPN back to where you normally watch or you want to watch a different Netflix or whatever the case may be, you ever get that message when you try to click on a video somewhere and it's like, this is video is not available in your area. Well, it's available in your area if you have Nord. So here's what you can do. You can use our link, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, uh, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, and you will get the ability to browse wherever you want. You will get the ability to be protected, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, You will also have 30 days risk-free. So if it doesn't work for you, uh, you know, money back guarantee, no problem. Pretend it never happened. And with NordVPN.com slash Arsenal Vision, you are going to get a two-year, a huge discount on two-year plan one month free. So go to NordVPN.com slash Arsenal Vision, huge discount on a two-year plan and one month free with nordvpn.com slash arsenal vision. I feel like I've said that a lot. Uh, and if I have, I apologize, but it is important and you should know it. So what else can I tell you about? Well, <clears throat> I can tell you about Shady Rays. True story. So the guy I'm actually here for to celebrate his big life occasion, we got in the pool, I looked at him and I said, Hey, you're wearing Shady Rays. He's like, I know I love these things are so great. Say they, they, they sponsor the podcast. He's like, no way. Um, So yeah, we had a nice moment about that, and I don't really have any more to say about that, but Shady Rays is a sunglasses company. They make phenomenal premium polarized shades. They have tons of great styles, customizable snow goggles, so much more. They're an independent sunglasses company that offers world-class products, just as good as any expensive pair you've worn, but not only are they durable, they're going to give you a lost and broken replacement. Like my buddy and I were talking about this. Why do you buy sunglasses? You buy sunglasses because they're lost, or you buy sunglasses because they're broken? 
Those are really the reasons you buy them. Well, now you don't have to because you have a lost and broken replacement guarantee. And when you use code ArsenalVision at ShadyRays.com, that's ShadyRays.com and use code ArsenalVision, you get 50% off. Two plus pairs. So you can get basically half off on two plus pairs. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. ShadyRays.com, code ArsenalVision. Do it now. Uh, a, a great pair of sunglasses and a great, um, I think, great offer that they have there. Yeah. He says, not knowing where he's going next, but now I know where I'm going next <clears throat> because I got my sunglasses on. You know why? The future's so bright, I got to wear shades, not only for Arsenal, but for your business, your online business. And if you were starting an online business, you need to be using Shopify. If you want to sell anything, <clears throat> Shopify is the way to do it. Shopify is the backbone of the e-commerce internet. Uh, there are probably huge companies you've shopped from. You don't even know they're being powered by Shopify, but Shopify covers all of it. In-store point of sale, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, you want to sell there, it'll do it for you. You want to drag and drop videos in, you want to drag and drop reviews in, you can do it. Have um, your inventory managed, your taxes taken care of, your checkout taken care of. You want to offer discounts to in-cart or if you add an extra purchase, you get more discounts. Like, they'll do it all. Shopify just makes it easy to run an online business in a very professional way so that when people have to hit that button that says check out, they feel confident doing it and you can feel confident that you can focus on what you do best, which is your art or your baking or your knitting or your products or whatever it is and not your website building. So use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsenalvision to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Do it now. Okay, back to Paul and Kaya. So if you look at Jesus and Zinchenko, who obviously Arsenal brought in as their two title winners right that's that's the players they brought in with that experience the the know-how of, of winning elite trophies at Manchester City obviously they weren't as influential there they were sort of supporting cast rather than main characters but I think they're two very emotional guys and that's I think why we've taken such a liking to them so quickly but at the same time in the past few weeks when Arsenal maybe have needed to find a bit of composure and just a bit of a, I guess, a reliance on, on what's got them to this point and a bit of a trust in what's got them to this point. It's maybe been a bit of a problem for them that their two spearheads have been, uh, I guess, um, sort of very high and very low when it's come to the, the successes and the failures. That said, you know, Jesus has obviously been on a very good scoring run. Stinchenko was important last night, even though defensively he's been a, a little bit sloppy. But I think, yeah, you're right. It's... Tensing up is probably a good way to describe it, or tightening up, sorry, as you said. Uh, tensing up was my, my own version. I'm going to copyright that. But um, I think... You see it in tennis, don't you? I, I, I thought about different sports. There's none clearer because it's so defined. It's, it's in this rectangle. You see guys all the time. They're killing it. They're bossing the other guy. They're like, they're in the flow. They got everything going. And then suddenly they, they see the finish line and they start to play percentages and they stop trusting just a it's all like, it's just that little bit. And then you think of the team effect, right? Where a guy's got to make a run, a guy's got to make a pass. There's so much trust and anticipate, like it is a trust thing that you can pull it off, that they'll make the run, that you won't get caught up field. And like you're two zero up, you're cruising against West Ham. And like, you're like, fuck fuck <laughs> it's on yeah it's, it's what it's also one of them where they, they had the chances didn't they to to re-establish it and if Saka scores the penalty probably they do rediscover that trust and yeah. they probably do loosen up and you know everything yeah. starts going to plan a bit a bit yeah. but 
you know, there's no, su- there's no substitute for experience. Sorry to jump. Like oh, no, I'm really no, wound up. I've, I've got so many feelings, Kaya, because <laughs> so many people say things about, about what's going on. And like, I think it's really simple. You can't have been there if you haven't been there before. And I think the point about Zinchenko and Jesus is really made, well made. They're very emotional guys. They're desperate to win this. But like they haven't been the leaders of a team that have done this before. And like you just got to go through it. And like there'll be comparisons to last year, blah, blah, blah. But like last year's a different thing. And by the way, what did we do when we just missed out last year? Because we ran out of players. We came back this year and crushed it. Now, will we come back next year and crush it? Uh, well, there's no reason we shouldn't get stronger and better. And we take this experience. And the team on the pitch knows to stay loose. And that nothing's won. And that the finish line is further away. That You needn't panic of over, oh my God, the finish line's right there. It's not right there. There are many games to go. And saying it, don't make it so. And there's no speech Arteta can give them at the start of a game that's going to persuade 11 guys that they shouldn't start to play a little safe now that they're two goals up and things are cruising along and start playing your percentages and, you know, maybe sit back a little bit, maybe maybe not push all the way up, uh, maybe not maybe start to cheat defensively a little bit to get into shape and suddenly these gaps start to open up and the other team starts to play some football and now you're like oh now i see a really good reason to tense up and it's like it isn't 11 guys responsible for their own performance it's a collective team thing very hard for players to say i'm not going i personally i'm not going to get tight because it's not just about what you do yeah and what we saw last uh, in the chelsea game was a bunch of guys starting to trust each other because Chelsea backed off a little bit and they knew, they felt they could start stroking the ball around. Yeah, they were given space to learn to trust each other again and that's yeah. what made Lampard's tactics so utterly bizarre on the night. Was This was an Arsenal side who were shaking in confidence and I think yeah. if Chelsea had come out and pressed Arsenal a little bit higher and had gone for them a little bit more, then... I don't you know, listen, it's you will never know, but I wonder if Arsenal might have been a bit more wobbly and they might have been a bit there for the taking. As it was, Arsenal started fast and continued to play at that tempo until pretty much the the hour mark and then things started to drop off a bit and they conceded a poor goal. But I think that that result could be important. We'll we'll see against Newcastle for certain how important it will be, but the vibe does seem a lot more relaxed now. There it seems yeah. like there's less panic there's less sort of obvious gaping weak points in the team Kivior coming in does feel like it's established a little bit more confidence and comfortability at the back and I think now the back door is a little bit better locked it's still not fully padlocked but it's you know it's got a bit of a, a chub lock if you like now with Kivior back in there I think that makes a big difference and then you know they can start playing their patterns of play and when Newcastle you know because it's going to be a difficult atmosphere up at St James's Park just like it was last season but when Newcastle yeah. try and create that problem for Arsenal, you'd like to think they'll be better equipped to cope with it than they would have been had they gone into that St. James's Park game directly off the back of of the sort of quite, I guess, haunting night, traumatic night at the Etihad. Yeah. I think Chubb lock is a little harsh, Kaya. I, <laughs> I actually, um, Clive's made the point quite often that uh, Holding's actually a lot leaner and has lost some weight over the last few months. <laughs> but I'm not going to challenge you on that one. Uh, look, um, one of the Tim, things Tim wanted to get to, and I think it's an interesting topic, Zinchenko's performance. 
which was quite criticized in this game. And actually, I picked him as a stock falling. But I think it's a classic, uh, the moment that, that burns your eyeballs defines a performance. Like, I think he was pretty good overall in this game. Um, the lads on the instant reaction thought he was great, um, apart from that particular moment. And maybe it's a bit of all of that is true. We've got used to him being very good, so we don't fully appreciate what he does to the what I'm lately calling the team effect. I think he was pretty good in this game. Uh, I was I was scarred by not just that his man beat him on the goal, but like I don't know did he, did he look like he, it was almost like a, what what me? <laughs> is it, or is anybody looking at me as that? But like he didn't. There was almost no reaction. It was like he was a midfielder visiting the defense. And it's very odd because, like, he can put in a shift. He can put in the – it's almost like TAA sometimes. Uh, he looks like a guy who doesn't actually think he's supposed to tackle the guy. He's just supposed to run along with him. Um and they have almost like brain fart defending moments where they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm not a midfielder at this particular moment. But overall, in terms of his, how did you feel about the criticisms Inchenko got, got fair or unfair? I think it was a perfect encapsulation of the trade-off you get by having Alexander Zinchenko as your first choice left back. You got yeah. everything good on the ball. And a part of as, as much as we spoke earlier in the pod about how Chelsea were very generous in the space they afforded Arsenal and how much they allowed Arsenal to play in the opposition half. You still got to um, kill them, though. Exactly, exactly, and you've still got to that. Part, the ball that starts the move that leads up to the first goal is Zinchenko playing it down the line and distributing smartly, like he has been doing all season. And that pass from in sort of the more underlapping position out wide is is something that Arsenal have executed pretty well, and it's it's, it's yielded a lot of goals and attacking chances for them. And Zinchenko is a huge part of that. And and they you assume he's part of why the Jorginho thing worked so well too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, two technically very good players alongside each other. And it gave Arsenal the element of control that, yes, as we say, Chelsea afforded, but they still needed to take it. And you still need to, you know, you still need to walk through the open door if you like. But at the same time, you sort of you saw the negative side of Zinchenko. And in fairness to him, he wasn't he was I did notice it in the stadium, uh, he was beating himself up a little bit after the goal. He was sort of doing the classic Zinchenko uh very upset with himself, sort of slapping his hands together, slapping his head a little bit, sort of frustrated with himself at conceding. Yeah. It's an obvious goal. And you that has been an issue for Arsenal. And it is it is a real problem. Um a lot of goals have been as the result of that in recent games. His defensive sort of lapses in concentration. Anfield is the obvious one that we all remember, but Southampton, I think the first goal, sorry, the second goal, he's he's caught a bit out of position. Um the third goal, obviously, he loses his man from the corner at City. I don't really think you can blame him specifically for any of the goals, but I think that Chelsea, obviously, the goal was you know him losing his man entirely, and that does happen. And it's sort of uh, what are you willing to gain in terms of what you lose? And finding that perfect left-back who is probably one of the best players on the ball, not just in his position, but in the Premier League generally, if you include midfielders in that list as well, but also someone who is incredible defensively and able to cope with some of the best attacking players in the Premier League is it's going to be very difficult to find. I don't think there's too many of them out there because if you throw, for example, Tommy Asu in that position, who is 
more defensively sound, you lose a lot on the ball. Same with Kieran Tierney, who is defensively pretty good, but you lose a lot in terms of what you have on the ball and in terms of possession. So it's it's a bit of a trade-off with Zinchenko. And I think for the most part this season, we've all been quite happy to make it because Arsenal have been dominating games and scoring goals and that's been massive. And I think now that the rest of the defence has seemed a little bit more ropey and they're conceding a few more goals, suddenly we're noticing Zinchenko's defensive lapses a little bit more now that the unit isn't as solid as it was before. But I don't think that's necessarily changed too much. I don't see... Arteta dropping him exactly against Newcastle. I don't think Kieran Tierney will come in for that game. But um, yeah, it's it's something, you know, Arteta will be aware of and it's something he's spoken about. I actually, I'm going to go full journalist and say I actually asked Mikel Arteta about this uh, once in a press conference. Yeah. Uh, and he, he did say basically when it comes off, Zinchenko's kind of given free reign to mm. do it. But when oh, it that was you. That was me. That was me. That was your question. Oh. Yeah, that was. That was. But when it doesn't come off, then um, obviously it's a problem, and uh, he does have to focus on his defensive side of his game. So, yeah, that's that's the the trade off with Alex Zinchenko, and I'm, I'm sure they'll work on his defensive part of his game. But he's so good technically, and he offers you so much that it seems to be a trade that Arteta is willing to make. Yeah, and. For me, it's one of those, it is what it is at this point, right? He's he's had all the training. It's not like he's going to hear something at Arsenal that he didn't hear at City. Uh, mostly, he's pretty good defensively, wins a lot of headers. He's positionally smart. Occasionally, he'll have those moments when you're like, what the fuck? And that's just what it is with him. And, you know, if you don't like that, play, play a conventional left fullback. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's what happens when you play a number ten at left back. It's it's going to happen. It's just the way yeah, it works. Yeah. And uh, like Arteta is always going to lead uh, lean on the guys, even if it's a trade off, and it very often will be. He's going to lean on the guys who let him play the kind of football he wants to play. And we might look at it and say, "Well, oh, I I I don't like this because it's co- costing us here or." you know, in this area of the pitch or whatever. But if it takes away from the football, the kind and capability of football in, if you want to call it the more attacking sense, but I don't think it's about attack. It's about the overall style and and philosophy and system of play. He's always going to take that trade off, even if fans at times might be like, oh no, we need to shore it up. We need to be more solid. We need to be more this or that. Like, there are certain players who are a pillar of how this team now plays. And Odegaard's one of them. Um, a party or Jorginho in that uh, central uh, midfield space is one of them. Two centre-backs who can play you up the pitch is one of them. Um, when you look at what I mentioned earlier, no, no team plays less in their defensive third than Arsenal. And that's it's all about the centre backs. It's all about a lot of players. It's also all about the DM. It's all about uh, Saka being able to hold on to the ball himself and Odegaard, and like the. It's all about rest, defence, and covering the counter attack. But it's absolutely all about having William Saliba and Gabriel Magliash. And it is a very interesting uh, question as we pivot to Newcastle uh, to say, well, what's he going to do there? Do you think he saw? The, the safe bet is he's going to pick holding, right? Um, and you can come up with four or five re- reasons why that is the sensible thing to do. 
However, and, and that would normally be my guess, that he would go withholding. But I've just talked myself into the idea he hates stepping away from his football. And he, this is going to be harder than ever for him to say, well, it's not fair on KVR and it's going to be a different challenge. And I, I know what New, Newcastle are going to target him. Um, and, you know, protect holding and it, it wasn't all on him and he's a very solid defender. But, like, how do you see Newcastle? Do you, do you see enough there for Arteta to say, okay, this allows us to play really where we want to play on the pitch and in the way we want to play on the pitch? And I don't want to go back to what I saw the three, four games beforehand. And this, again, not a damning indictment of holding or chub lock, as you call him. But uh, it's not an indictment of holding. It's an indictment of where centre-backs are comfortable playing on the pitch. And Rob's doing the best job he can for us. God bless him. Yeah, the comfortable is a word you said right at the end there. And that's that's why I think I'd go for Kivior because we've spoken a lot in the pod about how Arsenal seemed to get that trust back and that confidence back in the back line and they were allowed to play the way they wanted to play. I think it's no coincidence that Gabriel had a really good game and he should be fit, um, by the way, for, for that game, for the Newcastle game. So that's a positive. And I think if you can bring the best out of as many players as possible, then you should try and do it. And I think if Arsenal throw holding back in for this game, maybe they get a bit more defensive solidity uh, in the sense of Newcastle play a slightly more direct style that might be a little bit more akin to what holding strengths allow him to defend better against. But the composure that Arsenal had that allowed them to dominate Chelsea to such a degree in my opinion, came from the back with the same with the tone was set, sorry, with Kibio coming in and, and looking a little bit just more calmer alongside um alongside Gabriel. I think yes, you you risk as we spoke about before, you risk sort of taking away the right hand side and all the build up and all the important stuff there. But maybe if you throw <laughs> I know Tim was making quite a good point about the importance of the partnerships and party and holding being a, a duo and Jorginho and Kibio being a duo, but I wonder if maybe you you bring Partey back into the lineup and then you can start to use the right-hand side a little bit more and make up for Kivio's right-footed deficit. But is Partey and Holding a duo? You know that there was some movie with, uh, who was it? Sidney Poitier. And uh, who's the guy from uh, Some Like It Hot? And like, they escape prison. It's it's in the south, but they're manacled to each other, and they're running across the fields, and the bloodhounds are chasing them for like two or three days. It's one of those movies, right? They're in the swamps, and they're like, it's like, oh brother, where art thou, kind of thing. But the the mu- the non musical version that came before that, and like they were a partnership, but that's because the prison tied them together. <laughs> Have we decided the party? Or sorry, yeah, party and holding our partnership. Because party has to keep dropping back into the lines to like give us passing options. Are they re- like? Uh, I get it, but uh, I wonder if it's like partnership by proximity and association. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit like when your elder sibling is sort of forced to look after your younger sibling. That that kind yeah. of vibe. That's that's the. the <laughs> the feeling I get where you sort of you're reluctant to do it because you want to go hang out and play with your friends but of who are at your age but you sort of you have to hang back a bit and and look after your younger sibling maybe that's a bit disrespectful to Rob Holding I don't know 
but um well you did call him chub lock yeah um, <laughs> well, yeah um, and on. but like i see no reason why party and kivior okay they haven't played together but like chelsea isn't necessarily the best testing ground either for for partnerships and yeah it's going to be an interesting one i still think he's just because, just to protect Kivioran, because we haven't seen it before, apart from Chelsea, probably won't do it. But he's he's got to be much closer to it. He's got to be close to 50-50 for him for like, no, I want us to play my brand of football at Newcastle. I don't want to fall back into the trap we had before. Um, the one thing I did like about Kivior was I thought he was relatively two-footed and his some of his right-footed passes were tasty enough. And like, I did think he kind of gave us that option there. So um, it'll be an interesting uh, thing. I, I think it's 50, 50. I probably expect it to be holding, but man, he must be tempted. Do you think party comes back? Yeah. Virginia. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think Newcastle it seems to be a question out there. But again, I think it's the Chelsea game effect, right? As a you know, the Chelsea opponent effect rather than the the Arsenal performance effect. I I think people are f- like that was a game that you could tell on paper would suit Jorginho compared to other games. Yeah, and where we struggled. What's the the biggest strength that I'd say Newcastle have that's allowed them to maintain intensity and have such fast starts? It's it's their legs in midfield. Joe yeah. Willock, Longstaff, Bruno. Joel Linton coming in as well. They, they flood that middle of the pitch and uh, Chelsea essentially vacated it because they tried to put Kante sort of up front in a sort of 4-4-2 with a Bamiang, which went terribly and Kovacic couldn't get anywhere near. And if the Arsenal midfielders and Enzo Fernandez is looking less and less like an £105 million player by the second. So Newcastle won't give Arsenal anywhere near that type of space, especially at home. So I think in that sort of scenario, you need someone who's maybe a little bit more calm under pressure. I know Partey was almost the opposite of that against City. And yes, he was in a very stressful position. And yes, he was running back towards his own goal a lot of the time. But I think if you're going to be able to cope with what Newcastle offer, and I remember this being a big thing at last season's game in a similar, similarly crucial point of the season where Arsenal wanted to play out from the back and they wanted to escape this, this really intense Newcastle pressure. And they couldn't do it because, you know, God love him, but Mohamed Elneny can't play forwards in that sort of scenario he was going backwards and Arsenal just kept the ball in their own defensive third they could barely get out and if they're going to get out and if they're going to cause Newcastle problems because Newcastle's back four is is talented but it's also it's 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 gettable if you look at the likes of Dan Byrne and Kieran Trippier as a fullback Kieran Trippier is good defensively but I you know if Martinelli does come back in I'd, I'd back him to cause Trippier problems at back trust I'd cause Trippier problems so for Arsenal it's about getting the ball up through the pitch as, as quickly as they can and Jorginho offers that in a sense but I think Partey offers it to a, a, a bigger extent if that's the right way of phrasing that yeah it is it's the only way I've just t- <laughs> typed it into chat GPT and they said yeah that's the only way um, selection uh, choices beyond that uh, did Trossard do enough to start uh, like it, it worked. He was, I think he was pretty good. I, I don't think he's, obviously he doesn't play the left wing the same as Martinelli. Um, and at the end of the day, there's a crunch game and there's not, if we play well, even then there won't be much in this. So he doesn't have, Arteta doesn't have a lot of margin to be nice to people in for this particular game. This is it, right? If we, 
if we lose this game or maybe even a draw isn't enough, you can basically, it'll feel like you can park the season. So he's got to absolutely put everything on the pitch here. Maybe he's got to gamble in this game in a way he hasn't, that I understand why he didn't gamble earlier. And maybe that's why Kivior, like, maybe that pushes me to 51% instead of 49% on Kivior. You got to fucking gamble. And that might include torching the poor guy's uh, confidence and ego when he gets taken apart, but screw it. (laughs) You know, uh, you got to go for it. Beyond that, Trossard, any other selection thoughts? Would you do anything different here? Would you start Trossard? Um, Would you go Martinelli? It's really hard, that one, because you spoke about not being nice. It probably wasn't very nice to drop Martinelli. He's the player in that front three who I'd argue is in the best form. And I'd say at uh, Manchester City, he was probably the the best of the the front three. I mean, it's a sort of damning with praise, but I thought he was was decent, even though he had about, what was it, like five or six touches of something stupid like that. And he, he still looked like he was mentality wise he was he was in the in the right frame of mind to to approach that game and I'm not saying that Trossard wouldn't be at all because Trossard looked really good when he came on too but isn't yeah you're right they offer two such different things and uh, Kieran Trippier will probably play right back and do you want to try and force him back as much as possible to to reduce one of Newcastle's best attacking threats if you do I'd argue that Martinelli's pace in behind is probably the selection you'd want to go for having said that if you are aware of the fact that Newcastle are going to flood the midfield and you need technically very gifted players and people who make the right decisions, then Trossard's the right guy to go for that because he'll come in and he'll help out with that. So that's a coin flip. That's a real coin flip. That yeah. season. Like it's, it's and then a, you got the defen- defensive side of it, which is if you rate Martinelli's intensity and defensive workload and the fact that it could be Zen- Zinchenko back there and that that's an area that they may target uh, between Trippier... Uh, I don't know if Almiron's playing these days, uh, you know, starting every game, but like I can picture him weaving in and out of that corner there. And so you're going to need to bring some intensity beyond just leaving that to Gabriel and uh, Xhaka attempting to get back. Um, yeah, probably the, Jacob Murphy, I think, on the right wing for them. Yeah, weird yeah, yeah that's right. One yeah. of the most informed players in the Premier League, which is yeah. a very strange sight to see. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think they're for real? I mean, they are at the moment. Part of me wonders whether the the landscape of the Premier League this season has afforded them the space to go and have such a good season. But then when you look yeah. at the way they're... I know Tottenham are Tottenham and they're a bit of a shambles and they were very easy to put six goals past, but you still have to do it. And if you look at their head-to-head games against Manchester United in the league, Newcastle have been pretty dominant. And... Yeah. They've, they've dispatched some good teams this season. Um, they caused Arsenal a lot of problems when they came to the Emirates and um, it'll be interesting to have a clock on how long the ball's in play and all that kind of stuff and winding Arsenal up and all the, the housery and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is about them that they're, they're this good now, but they're going to keep getting stronger. It's not like previous teams who have sort of pierced the the, the glass ceiling of the, the top six because... Yeah they obviously have that financial backing to be able to sustain it and and go even further, rightly or wrongly. And that means that they're going to keep strengthening in positions where they need to strengthen. So I I think they are for real. I I don't think Eddie Howe's going to be the manager who sort of guides them to league title challenges, but 
I think I think they'll get top four. I think that's looking pretty solid and, and yeah. bang on. And he's he's managed to get a group of players who on table don't look like it's interesting. You know, you play Chelsea who on paper are a team who should be challenging in the top four. If you look at that eleven they played, that's an eleven that's good enough to get probably into the top four with the right manager. Whereas Newcastle have an eleven which is probably should on paper you look at it maybe be around where Chelsea are on the table and they're the ones who are in the top four and credit to Eddie Howe. So yeah, I think I think they are for real. I think I think they're legit quite quite scarily. Yeah, it's very upsetting. I mean he's yeah. gotta pull off a couple more tricks though, because he's he's going to have to bring in probably some bigger profile players, some more attacking players, and that's a different challenge. I'm not saying he he's shown he doesn't have the skill sets to do it, but like when you when the job evolves when the dressing room starts to change like the, they're they're in this really interesting situation where they're all in it together like their careers are all on the up this is fantastic they're all united they're all one mind you know all and now you start bringing in some different influences you you add a little more some more names maybe they won't go like for your your messies and your ronaldos but like they're probably going to look a little bit more like names and more attacking players. They're not just going to go for a, a backup Joe Willock and a ja- backup Joe Linton and these guys who are like having the times of their lives, proven points, basically shutting people up, graft, hard work, pouring forward, getting back. They got everything to play for. I was thinking about Liverpool and like their season this year. And like, like a lot's been said about it. But and this is going in the opposite direction. But the interesting thing was last summer was the summer they got the pie almost and they divided it up, if you like. All the contracts came up and players stayed or went, and you had your Hendersons, you had your Firmino's, you know, Firmino's leaving. Uh uh, but you had your Hendersons and these other guys re-upping their contracts, Mo Salah, et cetera, et cetera, Mane gone. So you have all these, change the personality, but you also have this kind of, ooh, how much did he get? How long was his contract for? Whereas up till that, it was like this glorious shared purpose to prove the world wrong, to move your career forward. And then they reached this kind of dividing up the pie thing last summer. And I think it's a part of the factor this season. I mean, not that they're not professional and they're not trying, but it's a different mentality when you're now all on different contracts and this guy got bumped and this guy this and this guy that. And yeah, you get back in the dressing room and you you push together. But like you kind of divided the pie and everybody knows where they are now. Newcastle next year, they're going to have Champions League by the look of it. So they'll have that extra challenge. But yeah, they are a bit scarily good with some on paper fairly mediocre players that you make that makes you think they could push on but it can go the other way i guess unfortunately we're they, we're playing this season's newcastle and they're good right now um so tactically or selection wise any other thoughts you you, you see it as uh, jesus did we pick mark probably martinelli isn't it i know it's harsh but don't you I think, think? i think i think it's martinelli um I can't see him dropping Jesus, despite what Trossard no. probably gives you. I just I don't see it happening. So, yeah. And I you think still need guys off the bench, and Trossard's been coming bench. around 60 minutes onto the pitch, and, like, not the worst gig. And, you know, it'll be interesting what we do next year 
with those guys and we add in another name. But I mean, Trossard's been great and he's loved by the fans and the, you got to think Arteta loves him and he sent him out against Chelsea as a, if nothing else, as a thank you. Uh, you're you're super appreciated and you're ebs- every bit as much one of our front three as the other front three. I just keep picking the other front three. Uh, I think he'll pick Martinelli again. Um, Xhaka, Odegaard, why not? Um, they looked very fresh against Chelsea with only a few days rest. I Again, that's why I don't think this was fatigue or blah, blah, blah. I won't go back to that whole thing. I think we just got tight and players who get tight don't look as energetic or as fast. Like they start to feel a little heavy themselves. So um, how do you see the Newcastle game playing out then? Do you think, what do you expect there? Are, um, you, going to, are you going to it? Yes. Yeah. Going to be, are you going uh, there as a fan? I'm going there as a journalist. Uh, I will not be. <laughs> nudge, up nudge, there. wink, wink. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Exactly. Uh, I won't be up there in the in the gods in that Newcastle away end, which is yeah. uh, not the nicest place to sit. I don't think to to watch football. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I was there for last season as well, and it was it was kind of traumatic, just the way that everything capitulated and the way Arsenal couldn't cope with the pressure and I'm expecting yeah. a similarly difficult test this time around not just because Newcastle are better than they were last season but because St. James's Park is a really really difficult place to go and even when Newcastle were bad Arsenal didn't always get the the best results there or necessarily win easily it's always been a tough place to to go and get victories and that's not changing so it's a game where I think you need your leaders and your your men if you like so Jacker will play for me. I mean, not that it was ever really in any doubt after no. a hat trick of assists on on Tuesday night, but you know. But this is this is the thing. You're gonna this, be ruthless, Kaya. Exactly. That's exactly. Why you should drop him. Exactly. But no, I think this this speaks to a kind of wider conversation you can have about Arsenal, where the squad depth is getting a lot better, and there's been a lot of conversation about how squad depth has been an issue for Arsenal. We've seen that at centre back, and it's been a problem. But these conversations about Trossard coming in or Jorginho coming in, they, they weren't possible on December 31st. And now mm. we're talking early May and that's smart January recruitment. And that's, that's what's gone really well for Arsenal. And, you know, you wonder um, how they'll kick on if with even more smart recruitment in the summer, but that's for another time. Cause you asked me about the Newcastle game. Um, I honestly, I'm, I'm stalling because I don't really know how it's going to go. I think it's going to be, it's a really difficult one to predict. I think it's, it's a game where, <laughs> You could you could easily see Arsenal losing it. You could easily see them going there and winning it and it being a real statement victory. Or my probable guess would be a draw because I think they're two evenly matched teams. And we saw that in the Emirates game where Newcastle came and were almost obnoxiously defensive. I don't think they'll do that again this time, but they're a very difficult team to break down. And at home, they they, they look to go at you. And Arsenal will need to show that the, sort of the Chelsea, I guess, the, the nice test against Chelsea now that they're coming up against a more severe and stern exam it's going to be you know how are they are they able to to pass it and that's the that's the question that that's going to be asked and going to be answered on Sunday I guess yeah and some huge selection decisions to be made here that uh kind of keep keep hope alive if we can get a result here like a a win here um, it's, a, it's a weird psychology, isn't it, that City play the day before, so they'll know if they're four points behind. And I, I wonder if maybe that will give them a sense of freedom. If they're four yeah. points behind, they'll think, you know, just screw it, let's let's go out and win this game. Or if that will make them despondent and sort of lose all hope. It's yeah, yeah it's 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 a tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Kivior, I've de- decided we've absolutely, there's no doubt, I'm 99.7% certain that it has to be Kivior. we got to play our football. Shooter post. Eventually. If it destroys that young man, his confidence, his career, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> all or nothing on one game. Let's roll the dice. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. Much appreciated, Kaya. Um, man down, Tim. Thanks for getting us started there. We're, we had to leave him behind in the jungles of Nam and make our way through. And uh, we'll send a, copper, uh, a chopper back to pick him up later. But uh, yeah, man down. Hopefully he's, he's okay. Um, much appreciated. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back after uh, Newcastle 0, Arsenal 10. And that isn't an Elliot-type prediction. This is a Paul-type. That's an actual prediction, not a slogan, not a thing we say at the end of the podcast. We're going to play Kivior. It's going to be Newcastle 0. It's going to be Arsenal 10. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining this very um, engineered edition of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Thank you for being here. We love you so much. We have a huge, huge game. Score to settle with Newcastle. And I, for one, hope that we do it. I'm really looking forward to it. And you know what? This is probably the weekend where City slip up. It has to happen eventually. It's going to be now. And we're going to, we're going to do the business. And uh, now you're going to believe us, as they say. But if that doesn't happen... We always have our rivals who are having a terrible season that we can laugh at. Let's not forget to laugh at our rivals every opportunity we get. So enjoy that. Enjoy us winning this weekend. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle 0.